the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you, Quinn. So, Jesus has just arrived in Jerusalem. He's ridden in on his donkey, and people have hailed him as, as a king. Hosanna to the king. And what's the first thing that he did when he got to Jerusalem? Who knows what the first thing he did when he got to Jerusalem? I'm asking you a question. Waiting for an answer. Okay. Well, the first thing he did was he cursed a fig tree. You remember that story? He sees a tree. It looks like it's got figs on it. Then he gets there, has no figs. And he says, may no one ever eat from you again. Then the next thing he does is he goes into the temple and he starts driving the money changers out of the temple. Remember this? People that are buying and selling stuff in the temple. Is everybody, is everybody on the same page? You've heard this story before? Okay. Listen to this. On the following day, this is after he's ridden into Jerusalem, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry and seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see whether perhaps he would find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Then they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling and those who were buying in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. He was teaching and saying, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? but you have made it a den of robbers. What's going on? Why curse a fig tree? Why curse a fig tree that has no figs when it's not the season for figs? Why drive out the money changers? The tree looked like a tree. From a distance, it had all the signs of treeness. It had leaves on it. It looked like it was a tree that that was alive and well. And it was busily making leaves, but it was bearing no fruit. He didn't even find the beginnings of a fig, the buds of a fig on that tree. Now, fig trees and vineyards and all that kind of stuff always stand for, in, 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 the, in the history of the Bible, I mean, they always stand for the people of Israel, the temple in Jerusalem. And so it was a symbol for Israel. It was a symbol for everything Israel was meant to be, but was failing to be. Israel was meant to be a kingdom of priests to the nations. And what were priests meant to do? This is the job of priests back then. To bring people to God and to bring God to people. That's all priests were supposed to do. And Israel as a nation was meant to be a kingdom of people that brought other people to God and brought God to people, to be that connecting piece between God and the world. But there was the temple, looking for all the world like a temple, like a place that people could go to meet God. It was like a tree that had grown lots of leaves, but once you got up close, that's all it cared about, was actually looking like a tree, looking like a temple, but not actually being a tree, not actually bearing fruit like a tree. The temple cared about looking like a temple, but not really being a temple, not really being a place where people could meet with God. So Jesus judges the fig tree. He curses it, 
as a symbol for the temple in Jerusalem. And then he goes into the temple, and when he gets there, it's not being a temple. And so he drives out the money changers. He drives out the people that were buying and selling animals in the temple. But why do that? What were they doing? What was wrong with what they were doing? Well, there are a couple of reasons why he did what he did. First of all, the money changers were set up in the place that was called the court of the Gentiles. The temple was set up in such a way that uh, there were different degrees of holiness that were required of a person to be able to go into the next chamber. And the holiest place, the Holy of Holies, was, was only entered by the high priest once a year. And only after he had purified himself for weeks so that he could be into that holy place. And then in the next chamber out, only the priests of Israel could go into the next chamber. And then after that, only the men of Israel could go into that place. Then after that, there was an area that women and men could go into if, if you're Jewish. And then after that, that was the place called the, the court of the Gentiles. It was the outer court. The first place that you, when, upon entering the temple, you would go into this place. And anybody from any nation could be in that area. Does that make sense? Okay. But because it was the only place that Gentiles were allowed to be, it was the closest they could get to the Holy of Holies. It was the closest they could get to being able to access God. But it's interesting that God had them make a court that would allow people like us, Gentiles, to actually come into the temple, isn't it? So, they had taken this place, the only place where Gentiles could even go to worship God, and they turned it into a place where uh, animals were running around, and they were buying and selling stuff, and they were taking people's money, and, and it wasn't really a it was almost like this outside. I guess if we were trying to worship right in the middle of that bouncy, bouncy room, you know, that wouldn't, it wouldn't be very easy to worship if that was happening right here in this space. Does that make sense? And so Jesus is angry. Why have you taken a place that's meant to be a house of prayer for all the nations, but when all the nations come to worship, what they find is a marketplace instead? That's not worship. Now, there's another super important reason why he was pretty upset about what was happening in the court of the Gentiles. And it's this. When people would come to bring an animal to sacrifice at the temple, they were supposed to bring the very best they had. God commanded them to bring spotless animals to come to worship him. Spotless things. They were to bring the very best in their lives and bring it to God. But often, as people were, were making their long pilgrimage to, to, to the temple, sometimes for weeks, uh, their animal that had been spotless at home wasn't so spotless anymore. And by the time they got to the temple, they had, the temple would sell them a, a clean animal, something that was, that was better and, and more appropriate to offer to God. Um, and, and the truth is, the prophet Malachi, this is too much information for you, but just go with me here, okay? Because I think it's really important. The prophet Malachi railed against the people of God, railed against the temple and all the priests because you know what the, the people were doing in his time? They weren't offering God their very best. They were offering God the stuff they wouldn't even touch. They would be like, look, there's a lame animal over there. We're not going to eat it. Let's give it to God. Does that make sense? There's something that we don't want for ourselves. Let's give it to God, and we'll just let him take care of it. And, and so they were offering God their second best. They weren't offering God their best. And so Malachi, this prophet, uh, he was really mad at the people of God for doing this and really mad at the temple for allowing it. And so a lot of this is set up so that they won't get in trouble with Malachi. We're going to make sure that people offer their very best. But the consequence of trying to do that was this. Um, what would it be like if you had been a family 
And you had taken your best. But once you got, and, and you made that long journey to the temple, but once you got there, the temple told you that your very best wasn't good enough for God. What would that be like? How discouraging would that be? Really? I mean, it's the best I've got. Well, it's not good enough. God won't accept what you have to offer. Well, um, I don't think that's the point of what God was saying. What God was saying was, don't give me your leftovers. Don't give me your second best. Give me your best. But your best is good enough for me. And Jesus comes to the temple, and he sees that people's best isn't good enough. The, the, the temple are turning people away, saying, your best, what you have to offer God, won't, won't do for God. And so they're making it harder for people to actually get there and worship. And they would sell them super expensive animals, animals that cost a lot more money than the animal that they'd brought, probably more than they had to give. And, uh, and, and so Jesus, I think, cleared out the place because he said, no, you are making a barrier to people who are trying to worship God. And I've got to clean this up because this is meant to be a house of prayer for all nations. Everyone is supposed to be here. Everyone is supposed to be welcome. But it had been turned into a den of robbers. And that word robbers uh, often refers to people that are not just robbers, but insurrectionists, people that are in rebellion. You know, and so is it, could it be that, that Jesus was saying, but you've turned this place into a house of people that are in rebellion against God's purposes. Could that, bit of, could that have been what he was saying? Now, a little later, Jesus is asked by one of the scribes about the greatest of all commandments, and Jesus answered that the law is summed up, it's fulfilled, it's, everything is completed by doing two things. And he, and he gives this answer. He says, the first commandment is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. That's it. That's what it's all about. Loving God and loving people. Loving God with... Uh, and, and, okay, loving God and everything that was made in his image. That's what, that's what the whole commandments are about. Loving God and the only thing made in his image, people. That's what the, all the prophets are about. If you do those two things, you fulfill the law. That's what Jesus says. But think about what those two things call for. Loving God with every ounce of your being means that we would be consumed and completely devoted and passionate and overwhelmed with a desire to always and in every way love him with every ounce of our being at all times, which is something that we, would, we find dif- difficult to do. Now, the second thing is this. Loving our neighbor as ourselves means loving other people just like we love ourselves. And that means this, that we would seek to meet their needs with every ounce of of zeal and focus and energy and enthusiasm and passion and dedication with which we meet our own needs. Does that make sense? That's what it would mean to love other people like we love ourselves. Can you do that? Because I can't. I can't. I'm I'm not nearly as motivated to meet other people's needs as I am to meet my own. Don't leave the church now because you just found out that I'm a sinner or something. (laughs) But that's what those two commandments call for us, call from us. They call us to love God with everything and then love people 
with every ounce of passion and energy with which we love ourselves. Part of what this means is this. Jesus would love for us to show God how much we love him by loving people, by loving the ones that are made in his image. That's what we are meant to do as Christians. And it's what Israel was meant to do as God's people. That, all that background brings us to our gospel reading today. And I promise you we're almost, we're almost done. I won't, I won't talk very long on this. but That poor widow who had those two copper coins, all she had, but she gave it to the treasury in the temple. This reading is often used by the church to show how we're supposed to be giving sacrificially. And she's often, this widow is often held up as an example to us about what real giving to God looks like. But read in context with the rest of what's been going on so far in Mark, it turns out that it's not really about her giving at all. What seems to be happening is that Jesus is judging the temple and all of Israel for being a nation. People that are supposed to love one another like they love themselves. It seems like Jesus is judging the temple and the, and the people of God for allowing their society to become one in which a poor widow only has two coins and that's all she has left. It's as if she's got, in our world, 50 cents left to her name and, uh, and we've got people that have enough and have plenty and they're just fine putting all this stuff into the treasury while in the line with them is a woman who's going to give her last 50 cents and that's all she had to live on. That's what the gospel says. That's all she had to live on. How could it be that in the kingdom of God that such a woman could be allowed to stay in such a de desperate state while others are pouring gobs of money into the treasury, not noticing her, not noticing her need? I don't believe Jesus is commending her faith as much as he's judging his people and his priests who allow such a woman to suffer like she is. Because all throughout the Old Testament, God has, has, commands his people to care for widows, and to care for orphans, care for those who are in desperate need. But here is a, is a temple filled with priests, God's people par excellence, and, but they don't love God because they don't love the ones that are made in his image. They don't love God's people. Listen to our gospel reading again. Jesus said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes, long robes, and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. Beware of these people. Why, do, why should we beware of the scribes? Because they devour widows' houses and for the sake of appearance say long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, one sixty-fourth of a day laborer's wage. Um, she put in two copper coins, which are worth a penny. And then he called his disciples and said to them, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything that she had all she had to live on. 
What if our reading didn't stop there? What if we kept reading in the gospel? This is the very next thing that happens. As Jesus came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. And that sounds like judgment to me. And why? Because God's people had forgotten who they were meant to be. And they'd started taking care of the temple and obeying laws. But folks, the temple wasn't made in God's image. People were. Laws weren't made in God's image. People were. God's people, being God's people, is not about law-keeping. It's about people-keeping. Because the law is not made in God's image. That's why the greatest commandment is about just two things. Loving God and loving people. Loving God and loving, made, loving those made in his image. That's what it's all about. That's what our life is all about as Christians. So how are we doing? I don't want to just look like a church. I don't want to be the church that just looks like the church, that has tons of leaves on it, that looks like it's going to be bearing fruit. I don't want to be a church that does bear fruit. I don't want to just grow a bunch of leaves in my own life. I want to be a person that actually bears fruit in my life. I don't want to just be a busy, I don't want to be busy making it seem like I'm a Christian. I want to actually be one. Don't you? So let's bear fruit. Let's love God with everything we've got. And let's love each other. And everyone out there, let's love people. Let's love those made in God's image. Because that's uh, what it's about. That's, you know, if we love them like that, if we love God's images, then that we'll be showing God how much we love him. That's who I want to be. That's who I want this church to be. Amen. Please stand with me. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven.